We greet you in the name of the Lord and uh, trust that God will bless us in our worship here this next little bit. I'm going to be uh, looking at a subject that I don't really fully understand and uh, probably no one of us do. We're thinking about something that belongs to God, I guess. We're going to be uh, looking at the sovereignty and predestination of God. Uh, Romans 9 is one of those scriptures that uh, is uh, pretty heavy, uh, you know, to try to understand. It's probably about 15 years ago uh, we lived in PA up the Welsh Mountain. And uh, we had a neighbor family there, mile down the road, that had a number of boys. And uh, those boys didn't all do like their parents would have wanted them to. And uh, one especially was not living for the Lord. He came home one night, uh, one Sunday morning really, and down between Whitehorse and, and up uh, the next uh, T road there, he came around the corner with his pickup truck and hit a pole and his life was taken. Uh, we leave those kind of things in the hands of God, but he was not living a godly life. He was not living for the Lord. And uh, we, uh, we give him over to God. Uh, we uh, remember some time weeks after this happened, we f felt the need to go visit these parents. And I didn't hardly know how to, how, what do you say? What do you say when parents are grieving and hurting over a boy that is probably lost? What, what do you say? And, uh, but we went. And about the same time, there was a, a boy that uh, lived up about two miles outside of, uh, in a course. And uh, he, he was also an ungodly boy. And he was, uh, both these boys were Amish, and he was uh, hauling manure with, horse, uh, with horses and a manure spreader in the winter. And uh, as he was just ready to take off with a load of manure, these horses took off, and he had the lines in his hand. And he, with the load of manure spreader, went over his breast, a big, strong boy. And, uh, but he made it, he went to the hospital, had a long stay there, and uh, I think it was his uncle, it would have been his uncle, went in to see him. And he made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Uh, we were down visiting these parents of the first boy, the king boy. And the question was, is it fair that God takes one and lets the other one live? Is that fair? Is it? Well, we're talking about God, and we want to be careful how we respond to that. But we read in this scripture here, he says uh, that, uh, and I don't understand all this, he says in verse 11 and 12, he says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. And it was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I love." But Esau have I hated. Is that fair? Before they were born, God chose one and refused the other. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. 
For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on him in whom I will have mercy, and I have compassion on him on whom I will have compassion. And then in verse 17, he talks about Pharaoh. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared through all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will he hardeneth. And then he says, in verse 21, Has not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Uh, I don't understand these verses uh, totally. Well, actually, I don't understand them. Why God takes someone and says that I refuse and reject you, and another one he says, I accept you. Or why was the one boy taken and the other and had an opportunity for salvation? Actually, uh, when I think of my own life, uh, having not lived a godly life for a number of years, uh, there were boys that I had known and traveled with that are now in eternity, and they could be in hell, probably are. And I'm preaching the gospel. I, I think of several that God, just like that, took them right in the midst of their sin. He spared me and took them. Uh, we don't understand that. But this scripture teaches the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. And we don't need to understand. I'd like to uh, say just a bit more about that. Why do you think God does that? Chooses one and rejects another. Uh, I, uh, we're having a very interesting Sunday school lesson about Nebuchadnezzar. And I was thinking about preaching a message on him. I'm glad I didn't. Uh, because I think I would have said things that kind of differ with the majority of how people think about him. Uh, so maybe it was good I didn't decide to preach on Nebuchadnezzar today. Uh, but I do have another man here. I'd like to look at his life. And uh, when I think of, and he's mentioned here in, in Romans 9, I'll, I, we must remember that Romans 9 is given to us to teach us what Romans 10 and 11 means. And Romans 10 and 11 says that God refused the Jew and brought in the Gentile. And he says, if you read on, that God has a right to do that, just like he had a right to refuse Pharaoh and to refuse Esau. God has a right to do that because he is sovereign. He calls the shots. He decides how he wants to do it. So if he wants to take a life of one man and leave another live, he may do that. That's called the sovereignty of God. Now we're going to also then speak about predestination. What's the difference between predestination and the sovereignty of God? Anyone? You want to share anything? What's the difference between predestination and the sovereignty of God? While you're thinking about that, we'd like to turn back to Exodus 5 and look at the life of Pharaoh. I'd like to ask this question, was Pharaoh predestinated to be doomed? According to Romans 9. Was he? Does God predestinate people to be lost? It's a serious question because those kind of questions uh, are floating around. Uh, was Pharaoh predestinated to be lost? You don't think? Okay, you don't think anyone is, okay? It is God's will that none would perish. Then why did he then choose to doom Pharaoh? He says he raised him up 
to, to, for that purpose? See, that's hard questions. But we do find that in Romans 9, the doctrine of predestination is not taught. But the doctrine of God's sovereignty is. Actually, the word predestination means to be planned beforehand is only found twice that I can find in the Bible, and that's in Ephesians. Romans chapter 9 teaches us the sovereignty of God, not his predestination. And why did he, in his sovereignty, deal with Pharaoh like he did? We like to look at uh, Exodus chapter 5 and look at the sovereignty of God and the frailty of man. Now, Pharaoh was there in Egypt. He was the ruler. He was a little like Nebuchadnezzar. He was the man in charge. He was the chief, and he called the shots, he thought, like Nebuchadnezzar. And then uh, we're told in uh, Exodus 4 that Moses is supposed to go and tell Pharaoh that he's to let his people go. Verse 1 of chapter 5. He says, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And what did Pharaoh say? Well, what did he say? What did he say? He says, who is this Lord? What else did he say? Come on. That I should obey him. Who is this Lord that I should obey him? Or uh, obey his voice? And then what else did he say? Come on. I know not the Lord, and I'm not going to let him go. Now, that's interesting language when we're talking about God. He said, Pharaoh said, he said, I don't know this Lord, and I'm not planning on letting them go. I'm not going to obey his voice. I don't know the Lord, and I'm, I'm not, they're not going to leave my country. Uh, maybe I'll throw in a few, uh, a few, a few uh, what do you call that when you throw in little jabs? Uh, you know, I don't know right what to call it. Uh, punches. Uh, when, 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 when those three Hebrew children were in the fiery furnace, what did Nebuchadnezzar say? I see four, and the one is like the Son of God. And he said, bring them in out. And he recognized God. Now, why did God deal so differently with Nebuchadnezzar than he did with Pharaoh? We, we like to go on here uh, in the life of Pharaoh. I'm just throwing a few jabs in. So that when I preach on Nebuchadnezzar, you're ready for it, okay? Uh, but in chapter 6, he says in response to how uh, Pharaoh answered, what did God say? Let's read. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, And you said, with emphasis, I am the Lord. Who's Lord? Pharaoh or God? And then the next verse, and God, and I appeared unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by the name of God Almighty, by my name Jehovah was I not made known to them. Uh, we should go on in verse 6. He says, Wherefore say unto my children, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out, and I will rid you out of their bondage. Verse 7, and I will take you to me for a people. And in verse 8, and I will bring you into my land. And in, verse, in the latter part of verse 8, I will give it to you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Now, we want to notice in verse 11, go in, he says in verse 10, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, 
Go speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he lets my people go. He lets my people, the children of Israel, go out of this land. And Moses did. And Pharaoh says, I will not let them go. In verse 29, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Was Pharaoh predestinated to be lost? God spake to him three times and said, Won't you let my people go? I am the Lord. Pharaoh says, Nope. I won't do it. Did you ever meet people like that? Nope. I won't do it. I'll do what I want to. Who's in control? God is sovereign. Now, I don't know why one boy was taken and the other one's converted on his hospital bed. And we're not questioning God's foreknowledge in all this. Not at all. Not at all. But in his sovereignty, he can decide when it is enough. And then he says, in a very interesting verse, in chapter 7, verse 3, he says, Pharaoh has said no three times, and now God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. That's an awful thing when a man says no oft enough and God says it is enough and he hardened his heart and used him. Is there anyone here that would like to tell us uh, what Romans 9 means? I preach for 10 minutes now and you probably still don't know what Romans 9 means and I'm not sure if I do. What does Roman, Romans 9 mean? Come on. Anyone? Testimony time. What does Romans 9 mean? Someone? No one going to share. What does Romans 9 mean? I, uh, uh, you know, read that verse and knew the uh, chapter was there and really do have some difficulty understanding that and one day I was sitting under an, an old Amish bishop's message. I don't know just why or the occasion. And he said something in about one sentence that I've been trying to catch from this chapter for many years. And sometimes we preach long and loud and hard and don't really say anything. This is what he said, Romans chapter 9. And I'm going to say it in Dutch first because that's the way he said it. And it made so much sense. And then I'll say it in English. He said, Van God, van man sich net uselos in des Reich Gottes, that God in user in des Reich der Finsternis. Romans 9. Now I'm going to say that again in Dutch, and I'll say it in English. Van God van man sich net uselos in des Reich Gottes, that God in use in this right or finsterness. Do we have an interpreter? We're not supposed to speak in tongues unless there's an interpreter. Brother Leon, will you interpret that for us? In the kingdom of darkness. If man reaches to allow God to use him, in the kingdom of God, 
then God has the right to and God will use him in the kingdom of darkness. And he, that explained to me Romans 9. God is sovereign and God may do that and we dare not question it. It's dangerous, dangerous to trample underfoot the great God of heaven. Now Jonathan, our bishop, says, and he has such a unique way of saying it. He says that when man pushes up, he has a verse for it. Maybe someone knows what it is. When man pushes himself up, like Nebuchadnezzar did, then God pushes down. And he asks the question, who is going to win? What do you think? God. But if man refuses to allow God to use him in his kingdom, God will use him anyhow in those rider finsterness. That's awesome. That's scary. I'm glad I bowed my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and quit pushing up. That's the teaching, uh, part of a teaching on the sovereignty of God. I think we see the mercy of God in the life of Pharaoh when he spoke to him three times. He says, go tell Pharaoh that I'm speaking. Three times he did that. And Pharaoh says, I won't do it. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And then God says, I will harden his heart. And he used him. Yes, in the work of the devil. That's dangerous when we refuse God's call. I, I, I hesitate to say this. I'm not convinced that it's biblical. But I've heard a teaching that God calls man specifically three times. And he used the three occasions of raising the dead. One time it was a, it was a young uh, damsel. And then it was a teenage boy. And then it was Lazarus. The young damsel arose from the dead, ready to just, she was just ready to go. The young man, they had, he got off of his, off of his thing there and went about his way. But Lazarus was wrapped. And they had to unwrap him. When a man waits long to come to God, there is so much to unwrap. But it's still wonderful, isn't it? It's still wonderful when he comes. So much to unwrap. So many habits to break. So many attitudes to deal with. Like Lazarus. And it took other people to unwrap him. It took help. The young damsel. She was ready to go. I was probably somewhere between the two. Wrapped pretty heavy. And had a lot of help from people. But God is merciful, and he would have been merciful to Pharaoh, I believe, if he would have responded. The sovereignty of God, he decides when we've said no often enough. 
Now we'd like to look into the doctrine of predestination, which is not found in Romans 9. And I'd like just for us to get a hold of that. It's not taught in Romans 9. Now, I know that we could notice verse 11, according to the election, which means divine selection. He selected whom he will and refused who he wanted to. But he probably did it on the basis of their choices. And I believe he still does that. He still does that on the basis of our choices. Predestination, the word is found two times, both times in Ephesians. It means to know beforehand, to decide beforehand. And again, we're not questioning the foreknowledge of God. God knows everything that everyone is ever going to do. That's too big for us to handle. But the foreknowledge of God. Are there those people that are predestinated to salvation and those who are not? Or are those who are foreordained to be saved and others not? We like to just close look at the Bible and see what he says about that. The Bible says that life is kind of like a highway. We get on back here as babes, and we grow up, and we make choices as teenagers, and sometimes we go on down the highway of life quite far, and maybe some of us never uh, come to grips with salvation. But as we travel the highway of life, uh, it's a highway that we have a certain amount of years that takes the covert, and while we're on that highway of life, there's opportunities that we can say yes to and no to. Now, I'd like to say that this is the house of the redeemed. The house of the redeemed. Do you think that with those first two boys that I talked about, one was a king and the other was an esh, uh, do you think that one of those boys was destined, foreordained, to go by here and miss it? And the other was foreordained to find it. Do you think that way? You probably don't. But we'd like to, by the scriptures, see what it means to be predestinated. First of all, as we go down the highway of life and we see the house of the redeemed, uh, and as we wonder how to get in there, the first question we want to ask ourselves, can I come in? Answer that, please, with the scripture if you want to. Can I get in? Knock and the door will be open. Anyone else? Whosoever believeth. Now, is the whosoever limited? Is there a limit on whosoever? The Bible says, if I were to hang a sign on the door of redemption, I would not put on there for those who are predestinated, but I would put on there, whosoever will. And we have that in the Bible 183 times. It says, whosoever will. I maybe you should read one of those. There's one in Revelation, so maybe someone could quote it. In Revelations, the last chapter, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. 
And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, and whosoever will, whosoever wants to, whosoever would like to, whoever is interested in it, whoever gives attention to it, whosoever will, what does it say? Three words. Let him come. That's beautiful. That's salvation. That's redemption. Redemption is for whosoever will. And if we hang anything else out here, if I would put on here, uh, uh, oh, what should I put on there instead? Uh, if you want to be redeemed, uh, can you guess what I'm going to write? Anyone want to guess? Come on. Guess. I don't care what you say. What do you think I'm going to write? I'm going to, I'm going to put something that's wrong on there. I don't know if this is big enough for all to read. Maybe it's good it is. Join the What does that say? Can you read it? That's bad. Okay. That's bad. Should I erase it? Okay, thank you. No? Now, I don't know. We, we've got, you know, people have been in and out of the Baptist church. It's a pretty good church, isn't it? At least I appreciate a lot of the people. There's some areas that we probably don't agree quite on, but I, I don't have a lot of... So we think I should erase that, too. Oh, I know. Uh, there was a lady that was having a lot of struggles in life. And she was trying to find answers. And uh, she came over and visited my wife one time. Don's been in touch with her. Her name's Mary. And uh, she thinks she's found the answer. It's to Jehovah's Witness. She actually called last week pray for her. It was Thursday or Friday. She called and says, I'm confused. Uh, I'm confused. She said, I'm thinking of joining the Jehovah's Witness. What should I do? What do you tell a lady like that over the phone? They're telling her that they're the way. But you know, the Bible says that whosoever will, a sister who was old and was about ready to pass on, had a little problems when you left the Amish church. And her son, Henry, came in uh, one day, and she says, Henry. And Henry had left the Amish church. He says, Henry, I had a dream last night. She says, I dreamt I was in heaven. And I believe she probably is. She loved the Lord. And she said, she said as, and I should say it in Dutch, but I won't. She says, as I had this dream, I saw a lot of doors. Amish, beaches, Mennonites, and a lot of different doors. But Henry, she said, when I went in the door, we were all together in heaven. I like that. I like that. Salvation is for whosoever will. Now, uh, that's number one. It's for whosoever will. And the way into that 
very clear. John 10 says, I am the door of the sheep. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the answer. We don't work for it. We don't buy it. We don't earn it. But we accept it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Ernie's message last Sunday was so clear. Excellent. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ that we enter into this house. It's for whosoever will. And there's only one way in. It's not by joining the Baptists. It's not by joining the Mennonites. It's not by joining the Amish. But it's through Jesus Christ. John 10. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I am the door of the sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. If any man come, let him enter. That is the way into this house. And there is no one excluded. Predestination is not on this building. It's not there. Now I'm going to tell you as we turn to Ephesians where it is. Does anyone know where predestination is? Uh, you don't know what I'm saying. You, you, I've lost you. But when you enter this building, I, I can't draw the inside of this, of this house. But in the inside here, if I could draw it, uh, Oh, by the way, there's something else here, too. Matthew says that straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life, and few there be that find it. Many, many people go down this highway and miss it. I wonder why. Because it's so simple, people miss it. It's so simple, people miss it. We merely say, Jesus, here I am. That's what Mary tried to tell Mary. She says, Mary, just invite Jesus into your heart, and the confusion will be gone. Do you believe that? It's that simple. Just, just invite Jesus into your heart over the phone, and the confusion will be gone. The fog will be lifted. It's that simple. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Yes. We still haven't taught predestination, have we? Well, I'm going to read what it says about predestination. As we enter this building, that building that we had drawn on, on, on the uh, board here, up front there, there's a sign, a big sign hanging up there, and this is what it says. As I walk into that building, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what I see when I walk in. And then he says, I've chosen you before the foundation of the world. I says, well, amazing. You mean you knew I was going to get saved? Yeah, yeah, we knew you were coming in. Yeah, I knew that. God, that's what he says. He says before the foundation of the world. If you're a Christian this morning, God knew before the foundation of the world that you're going to be a believer. That's what he says. Now that's not for the outside of the building. That's for the inside, okay? The outside says, whosoever will, let him come. It's for everybody. But if we walk in there, as we walk through the door of salvation, we read up there in the front, it says, oh, but I knew that you're coming before the foundation of the world. I knew you were coming. That's the inside of the building, not the outside. 
That's the big difference. We don't tell people that. We tell people, come, who so just come, just come like you are. To bring your whiskey bottle, your cigarettes, and bow down here. Jesus will save your soul. But then, as they walk into the building, he says, oh, I've chosen you way back there. I knew you were coming. That's wonderful, isn't it? It's a beautiful picture of the, of the man that went to the pig pen. A, 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 a beautiful account of all humanity has gone to the pig pen. And when he decided to return, what does it say about the father? Someone, quickly. And when he saw him, yet a, come on, a long way off, he saw him coming. And he went out to meet him. You know, Jesus is, and God and Jesus is just standing inside there, just waiting for people to come outside. Whosoever will, let him come. Inside, he says, oh, I've chosen you way back there and you were coming. I, I, can't, under, I can't explain that. Maybe, maybe you can. I, I don't understand that. Didn't he do that for everybody? Well, I'll leave that too. I don't know. I don't know how that works, but I know that salvation is for all. And as we walk through the door of the redeemed inside there, it says, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the, of the world. Now, verse 5, and I want us to read this verse together. And uh, I know we're not supposed to do things differently, but I'm going to make you stand to read it, Okay. Verse 5. Let's read it together. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. Okay, I'll read it now. Just stay standing. He has predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. When we walk into this building, when we walk into the, into the, into the house of the redeemed, we see that we were chosen, we were see that we were predestinated, and you still didn't get this, we're not done yet, hang on. We, we, we're predestinated to what? To be adopted as his children. And then we read the next predestination in verse 11. In whom we also have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to his purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That we should be to the praise of his glory. We are, I hope you're hearing this. When a man is saved and redeemed and he walks into the house of redemption. We see up front there that we've been chosen and we've been predestinated to be into conformity to the image of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to look like him. We're supposed to act like him. We're supposed to behave like him. We're supposed to do things like Jesus would do them. Predestination means that he had planned before time that everyone who becomes a child of God becomes to act like Jesus, look like Jesus, walk like Jesus. We're predestinated to be to the praise of his glory. He's, oh, yeah, you're still standing. You may be seated. Sorry. We're, we're, we're predestinated to, to, to be like Jesus. That's the simple teaching of predestination. It never, never hang that on the outside of the building and say, some can be saved, but some must be lost. That is not biblical. Predestination means that when a man and, and, and woman and his son and a daughter become a child of God, then God has planned way back there that we should be to the praise of his glory. We should, be, we should change. We are a new creation in Christ. How many here? No, I don't want to ask that question. 
although i feel pretty safe to do it but i'm not going to for all those who are christians i'm not going to ask if you are not for all those who are christians is there anything different in your life than from what it used to be Testimony time. Okay. For all those who are Christians, is there anything different in your life than it used to be? Testimonies. We're closing the service. Okay? Testimonies? Is it? Is it? He doesn't do it all in a day. And guess what? I've been a believer since I was 29 years old, 29, 39, 49, 59, 31 years I've been a believer. And I'm still not all that I ought to be. I'm not all that I want to be. But I am what I am by the grace of God. God takes time. He's patient. But he wants to change us. He wants to change us. What has he done for you? Don says he's not what he used to be. He's changed his life. Anyone else? I visit one time with an old friend of mine from way back. And we got to reminiscing about people. And he, we were talking about several people, and he says, oh, he saw them not long ago, 30 years later. He said, they're just the same old people. He's just the same as he always was. And uh, then he said, we got to talking about our bishop, Jonathan. He said, Jonathan's different than he used to be. Praise God. Are we different? Are we different? That's what predestination is all about. God has planned that for us. That's part of his plan. And I'm different. If I'm not, God would still like to do it, and he will. Any more testimonies? Has God worked in your life? Are you different? Maybe he knocks the rocks off he can see first, and he goes down to those he can't see. We just go a little deeper. Anyone else? God's gift to you. What does it mean to you? Let's do it, prayer.